Joining us now from somewhere near Heartland is our good friend Al Bat. Hey, Al, what do you think of that? Almost a 60-degree temperature drop from yesterday till today. It is. Uh, it's a beautiful day. Man, this is February. <laughs> yes. It is so cool. I just, uh, I, I, you know, people are still kind of dazed. I talked to a fella here the other day, and I think he is just... He he just can't understand it anymore. He's just kind of dazed and confused, I yes. think he is, about the weather. <laughs> and he's saying, oh, man. And he's one of those guys, he's not really negative, but he thinks we'll pay for it somewhere along the line. You know, a lot of us are, a lot of folks aren't negative people, but they seem to be about weather. They think yeah. it kind of evens out somewhere along the line. Well, anybody who's been through tornadoes and things has figured out it doesn't even out. It just uh, sometimes stuff happens. Do you think hey, we're good? Before you go, you talking about the weather. Of course, I have to talk about the weather now that you mentioned it. <laughs> do um, do you think it's going to be a big year for mosquitoes and ticks and things like that because of the, the weird weather we've had? And I'm just curious because my husband was looking online and he saw some shirts and, and pants and things that were infused with something that was supposed to prevent insect bite so i thought do i need to be oh, preemptive sure. or not yeah i can't say about uh mosquitoes because it might be rough on some of them because we didn't have a lot of moisture so oh. those that depend on that but i would if i was a betting man and i went to casinos i would bet that ticks will probably be uh well we'll have a lot of ticks this year oh, okay. and Boy, I hope I'm wrong. I just, but it seems like everything would lead to that. Uh, it's just uh, their kind of weather, and and mosquitoes. I don't know. You know, here in the yard, we just haven't had much mosquitoes for a few years now, yeah. for whatever reason. And this might be another one of those years. I I don't know, and. Um, I'm probably the only person that says this, but I, I kind of miss mosquitoes sometimes because <laughs> it just don't. seems like it sh we should have them, doesn't it? It seems like it's part of the experience of living here. But uh, I think maybe ticks, we might uh, we might get them. Well, you know, we always get more than we want. If we get one tick, that's more than we want. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think we might get a few of them this year. I got a nice photo. Uh, uh, a video from, uh, well, Gail got it, but she showed it to me from Miss Lona about some uh, fishing bald eagles. And I want to thank uh, Tim, Miss Lona, their daughter Emily, and Steve Kittleson. We got together for, as we do every year, for Tim and Gail's birthdays at the Amboy Cottage Cafe, and they feed us well there, so it was fun spending a day in their company. And I also want to thank all the good folks at the venue. We had a gathering for the uh, women's softball team from MSU. Oh, gosh, it was a Saturday night. And, of course, I had no idea where the venue was, and my wife is telling me, well, it's in the old Shopko building. <laughs> I had no idea where the Shopko <laughs> building was. I, I said, I just, I, I don't, nothing against Shopko, but I just never went there. So but we found it, and it was a, it was a wonderful gathering. I'm seeing small feathered things flying through the air today because, boy, they're flying, and then the wind is aiding them in their journey, and the birds are gliding into this conspicuous and vibrant red veins of spring, the red osier dogwood. It's a many-stem shrub. It's a favorite nest site of goldfinches. It's also called red twig dogwood, red willow, uh, red stem dogwood. 
and it has pliable stems that are used as uh, used in wicker baskets and furniture. And why 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 is uh, dogwood called dogwood? You know, and there's all kinds of smart alecks like me saying, "Well, because of the bark, of course." <laughs> but uh, the possible origins, boy, they're many and varied. In the 1500s, the trees were known in Europe as dagwood, like dagwood bumstead, if Mm. anybody remembers that, dagwood and blondie. Mm -hmm. And they're still in some of the comic sections. They were called that because of the small stems that were used for dags, daggers, arrows, or skewers. And it might have been referred to then, instead of a dagwood tree, they might have just called it dag in Old English. And it could have originated in colonial times here because its fruit was edible but not fit for dogs. So it was dogwood. Another belief is that dogwood, there was a medicine concocted from the bark was used to treat dogs plagued with mange. And yet others say the name dogwood is a derivation of the word daggerwood because daggerwood sticks were sharpened and used to skewer meat for cooking. So that's a long, uh, a long paragraph there saying I have no idea why it's called dogwood. <laughs> I guess you just pick your favorite. Uh, I'm I'm looking for turkey vultures. It's that time of year where I look up to see them. And again, bald eagles will soar with their wings held flat and steady. Vultures have a rocking flight with wings held in a V-shaped dihedral. So if they were automobiles, an eagle would be driving on a new smooth road, and the vultures would be traveling on a road filled with potholes. Uh, Minnesota's favorite marmot, I've not seen one yet. The groundhog, it doesn't appear above ground on its official day, February 2nd. Its internal clock awakens it in March. And it's also called the woodchuck and the whistle pig. So next February, let's all celebrate woodchuck day, whistle pig day, and groundhog day. We can have three celebrations. And a newly molted male cardinal's feathers are tipped with gray. So when they come into the fall and winter, they look pretty gray. And those tips wear away slowly during the fall and early winter, and they reveal this brilliant red feathers that the cardinal is known for. And research has found that cardinals reach their peak redness by midwinter. And that explains why they're all on all our Christmas cards and everything, because people are taking pictures or painting them in midwinter for the next year uh, when they're perched in some sort of conifer. So they do this ahead of the spring breeding season, and the brightest red males are the most attractive to the females. So there's a reason. Uh, Bonnie Rubel sent me a photo from Myrie Big Island State Park, and it's on the ground. It looks like mallard's eggs. Uh, Mallard's eggs, they vary from pale green to bluish green to pale blue to buffish green to creamy with a greenish tint and on and on. Uh, boy, you know, in April is the time when they lay their eggs, so I don't know what was going on there, Bonnie. I have no idea. Uh, Gary Seth <clears throat> said in 1980, Gary's from California. In 1980, the BBC made a miniseries called Oppenheimer starring Sam Waterston. It's pretty good and available on Tubi 
for free with commercials. In the final scene of the series set in Oppenheimer's Garden in the USA, there's a lot of bird song. All of it European. Prominent are the songs of blackbird and willow warbler, two species which are not present in the Americas. Yep, that's one of those oops. Uh, Jim Beach of Freeborn said there's at least 50 trumpeter swans on Freeborn Lake. Uh, Steve Kittleson of Medelia is seeing some American kestrels. Danny Galligan of Albert Lee says, I'm hearing singing cardinals. Uh, here's some waterfowl. There's a lot of waterfowl out there now, folks. Ben Frickman saw greater white-fronted geese in Martin County. Wayne Fetter, from, who lives in Faribault County, saw American Widgeon, Bufflehead, Common Goldeneye, Common Merganser, Ring-Billed Gull, Greater White-Fronted Goose, Redhead, Ring-Necked Duck, Hooded Merganser, and American Coot. Uh, Dave Bartke in Steele County saw a greater white-fronted geese. I saw a greater white-fronted geese. So a lot of folks are seeing greater white-fronted geese, also called speckle bellies. <clears throat> Dave also saw a gadwall. Uh, northern pintail, trumpeter swan, canvasback, redhead. And then uh, something a little different. It's not a waterfowl, sharp-shinned hawk. Brian Smith in Brown County. Again, greater white-fronted goose. Uh, redhead, ring-necked duck. Lesser scop, hooded merganser, and common merganser. Eli Fest saw a merlin in Blue Earth County. Bob Williams saw a redhead, ring-necked duck, lesser scop, hooded merganser, and a Eurasian collar dove in Lesseur County. And the last of the waterfowl reports, Brian Smith in Watwan County saw greater white-fronted goose and a cackling goose. So a lot of wonderful things going on out there. So look at a, any uh, any body of open water, and you're liable to see something like this. Well, I've Roger got a couple. Dave, before you go, I've got a couple talking about waterfowl and pictures of, of uh, things on the lake. I got one from our friend Gail Christensen. She says, hi, Karen. Question for Al Bat. The swan couple is back on our pond, and she sent a picture of their beautiful, beautiful swans. She says they left when the pond froze along with one of the remaining cygnets, which looked fully grown but was not really white. Would the baby be old enough to be on its own at this point? Thanks, Gail. It's probably going to have to be, yeah, because uh, mom and dad are going to want that territory for raising the next bat, so... Who knows where the baby is? Probably, you know, they kind of come back to the same area, so it's probably hanging around here somewhere. And, uh, yeah, they're very good being on their own now because they eat plants for the most part, so they can be out in the field also eating uh, corn and things, scale. But they uh, eat a lot of plants, so, boy, they can sure find some green stuff. They love aquatic vegetation. So it's probably off somewhere, not far away, enjoying its life as a as an almost adult. So it's uh, great to hear from you. And then I've got just a couple minutes later, I got another picture, beautiful picture of a couple of swans on a lake from our friend Jack May, and he says for the Phenology album, February twenty sixth, twenty twenty four. And I asked where it was taken, and he said, south of St. Clair on Rice Lake. He says, I think I've heard of about 20 Rice Lakes in Minnesota, but this is the only one in Blue Earth County. He says, we went canoeing last evening toward dusk. Al likes to 
anthropomorphize for humor as I do. And he said, picture one, Swan, right? Assuming the, uh, yeah. uh, assuring the other. Don't worry, there will be no humans out on the lake in Minnesota in February. <laughs> yeah, that's, I I got that too from Jack. Oh, did and, you? Okay. Uh, the, the audio was great with all the. They sound like a junior high French horn section, just kind of tuning up, getting ready for the season. So, and um, he put on their Rice Lake, and I was kind of the same thing. I said, "Is that Rice Lake in Fairville County, or which county is it?" Because. There's a lot of rice lakes, as Jack uh, Jack mentioned there. And then uh, Miss Lona oh, sent me ahead. some things, too, and she may have sent them to you, too, I think. She wrote, she, wrote, she saw many eagles near Henderson on Saturday, and uh, she has pictures. She says, I wonder what this multicolored bird is. Young eagle, question mark? And she says, definitely an eagle. She said, so um, she I may have sent you that as well. I'm not sure. Yep, and it was a uh, young eagle, uh, so going through that time in their life where they're, oh, splotchy, I guess would be a, a polite way of putting it. So they just look like they're going through a molt at all times, even though they're not. But they have that kind of odd look, and yeah, they were happily fishing there. So life is good right now. So they're out there, uh, they're able to get fish, and, and it was... It was great seeing that, Lona. And Jennifer um, and Lily, I'm sorry to keep interrupting. Yeah. I'm just going to go through them so no. that way you can talk freely here. Jennifer and Lily, hello, ma'am. Please ask the bird guy about bird commu- wait about bird communication. Are there regional dialects of a bird that talks of a specific species, or are they all able to talk to each other if they travel? Thank you, Jennifer and Lily. Good question. Oh, what a what a great question. Yeah, there are uh, regional dialects. They found it, and they did studies on song sparrows and another yeah. a number of other species where they have maybe the ones in the northern part of the U.S. have a slightly different song than those in the, the southern part. But it's uh, they're still, I think, able to understand one another. They probably just go, wow, that guy's song is so far off. I don't know what he's <laughs> singing about, but I kind of get what he's saying, you know. So they, they do, uh, they are able to understand, but boy, that's a great question. And there are regional dialects, so we will notice different calls. And uh, it, it's neat how how that happens. Is that the same as when you're down south and they call it cola? We call it pop, and elsewhere they call it soda. Or when we call it uh, Wisconsin, they call it a water bubbler. We call it a water fountain. Do they do that too? Uh, maybe they do. <laughs> I know the being down south, and they ask if I want a Coke, uh, which can mean Dr Pepper, Orange Crush, or anything. Can yeah. mean any kind of pop is called a Coke. And I grew up by Pop Town, Bath, yep. Minnesota, is the nickname <laughs> Pop Town, because uh, I asked my dad why they call it Pop Town. Well, duh, they have pop there. I, oh. <laughs> I never even thought of that. So, but uh, yeah, and then soft drinks, and we have all different kinds of names for it. Uh, Roger Davidson sent me a New York Times article, and it said uh, it talks about each spring and fall, dead and injured birds litter the front sidewalks and in courtyards of a glassy crescent-shaped building of uh, like 50 condominium units on the northwest corner of Central Park. 
and uh, casualties are brightly colored travelers on migrations. They're they mostly warblers, but they have woodpeckers, and their journeys end at this building. It's called Circa Central Park, and they crash into this glass that they can't see. So the number of window strikes at Circa had was rated in the top three among buildings monitored in by New York City Audubon. And residents are trying to fix the problem, joining a small but determined push to make the glass more bird-friendly. And Audubon is working with Circa on their edition of bird window deterring window film, a stick-on pattern that makes the glass more visible. And there's a lady, Melissa Breyer, she lives in Brooklyn, and she volunteered with the New York's monitoring effort is called Project Safe Flight after seeing uh, a social media post about 26 birds killed at Circa in a, cert- in a single morning. So she found herself patrolling New York's deadliest monitored area, the World Trade Center. And in 2021, she came upon a massacre of 300 birds strewn between the three buildings there. And earlier this month in Chicago, almost a thousand birds were killed on a single day mm-hmm. at a single building at McCormick Place, and I have been to McCormick Place. Uh, Gunnar Berg says, "Al, uh, Gunner's from Elberly. It says, Al, we are wintering again in the lower Rio Grande Valley. Global climate change has struck with vengeance, but there have been a lot of lifeless birds. And one day we logged a fantail warbler, a crane hawk, a dusky cap flycatcher, and a roadside hawk. Oh, those are all great birds to see. The real downside here is water or the lack thereof. This week, the Water Authority announced that there would be no water allocation for the farmers. Texas seems to be short-sighted in their embrace of freedom. They're running out of water at the same time as they're bulldozing, developing, home-building as fast as possible. Uh, Kathy Paulson of Geneva said, Al, thank you again. Lots of interesting information. I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't know about a lot what you reported. Well, that's what I depend on, Kathy. I agree. I hope that people will take some time to start enjoying the things that they see out their windows, both at home as well as when they're driving here and there. Uh, Glenda Batt, who, oh, the poor woman happens to be my sister-in-law, <laughs> uh, asked if deer, they get deer coming into their feeders regularly, and asked if deer change colors during the year. Yeah, they do. A deer's coat provides thermal regulation and camouflage, both those things. Summer coats are thin and reddish, allows the deer to better cope with heat stress, and in the fall, deer begin a process of molting triggered by hormonal changes that reflect the changing seasons. So that reddish summer coat turns a faded gray or brown color as the new winter coat grows. Coat color, regardless of the season, tends to be darker in forested areas and lighter in agriculture areas where deer are they're uh, they're just exposed to more direct sunlight out there, so they're going to be lighter. But it's uh, it's neat to see that change, and it becomes pretty noticeable after a while. Uh, it's fun to fun to see those, and uh, they are feeding the deer well there. Heard from Michael Bonner, uh, a good guy. He said uh, there's a 
there's a photo of an English robin on a TPT2 magazine that conjures up a picture postcard image of the English robin, which is about the size of our chickadee, uh, perched on the handle of a garden spade, which an old fella has just stuck in the ground so they can wipe his brow. Of course, the robin is just using the handle to get a good view of the earthworms the gardener may have disturbed. This has happened to me last winter when I went to fill the feeders. The chickadees and the downy woodpeckers both landed on my outstretched hand and took seeds. Oh, what a cool cool thing that is. Uh, No name on this one, but it says... uh, what bird sounds as if it's calling Ricky, Ricky? I'm going to guess this is from somebody named Ricky, maybe, and they keep going, what? What do you want? <laughs> uh, you know, I. you're all going to probably hear a different one. Cardinals sound like they're singing cheer, 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 and then birdie, birdie, birdie. So birdie and Ricky, they aren't that dissimilar. But other possibilities, depending on where you're from, tufted titmouse, black-capped chickadee, Carolina wren, ruby-crowned kinglet. Ruby-crowned kinglet's banding abbreviation is R-C-K-I, which has earned it the nickname Little Ricky. But I would say this this time of year, with everything that's going on right now, I'm going to say that's a cardinal calling Ricky, Ricky, Ricky. And I'm, um, again, I'm prepared to be wrong. So let me know if you learn more about that. This is a time of year where I should remind everybody if they'd love to go out and see the Sandhill Cranes, Kearney, Nebraska, and the Platte River. It's a natural wonder when over 500 to 600,000 Sandhill Cranes stage along the Platte River. I heard uh, two days ago, I think, that they had just short of 40,000 cranes there already. And the numbers typically peak the third week of March, so they'll grow considerably from that. And you can look at cranes. You can walk with the pioneers over the Oregon Trail by visiting something called the Archway, which stretches across I-80. If uh, The Museum of Nebraska Art in Kearney is wonderful, and if you're into... Oh, antiques. There's a something called a Pioneer Village in nearby Minden uh, has over 50,000 historical artifacts, such as vintage cars, farm equipment, airplanes. And I'd had, I'd say, way over 50,000. There's no way to get through all those buildings in a day. But if you'd like more information, you can go. These are all .orgs. So you can go to row.audubon. Or you can go to Crane Trust, one word. You can go to Archway, one word, or visit Carney, one word. So row Audubon, row dot Audubon, Crane Trust, Archway, or visit Carney, and they will all kind of lead you to the same general place. But it's a wonderful, wonderful trip to go out there. Uh, it isn't all that terribly far, and. Uh, I always tell everybody, take clothes, because I have been out there when the weather's been almost summer-like, and I have been out there when there was a raging blizzard. So it's kind of <laughs> like Minnesota. You just never know what you're going to get. You just know you're going to get weather of I some kind. S- sounds like here. I, hey, Al, I was going to ask you a question. I was sitting on my couch this weekend, and all of a certain, sudden I heard a loud creedle, creedle, and I said to Jeff, oh, that's the creedle, huh. and then I couldn't remember what it was. 
It's the Blue Jay. Okay. Yeah. It sounded it like sounds it was like panicking or something. It was just very loud. So They just, uh, Blue Jays have a, uh, they're like me. They have a need to talk. You know, they just, uh, if it's quiet, they got to make some noise so everybody knows they're there. I sometimes think uh, Blue Jays, we all have that friend who walks into a room and has to make some sort of entrance just so <laughs> yeah. we all know they're there. And they're good people. It's just the way they are. That's the way I think a Blue Jay is. And that Queedle Queedle call to me uh, sounds, we used to have a pump out in the yard when I was a little boy and we for water. And there was a bucket of water there because you had to prime the pump. So you poured a little water in there and then you pumped and then this wonderfully cold and delicious water came out. And it made that queedle, queedle, queedle sound as we pumped it. So uh, I don't, I think maybe it copied from the Blue Jays. I, I suppose the Blue Jays could have learned from that. But they uh, they love to make that queedle sound, and uh, they is, love to make a lot of different sounds. Is that when they're I, alarmed? Because it sounded almost like a panic sound. You know, I I don't think that's necessarily oh. the case. And I suppose it could be, but usually when they're... When they're alarmed, they make that J, J call, hmm. and sometimes they do that. It's a bit of mischievous involved in there because they'll make that sound to scare other other birds away so they can come into the feeder. Uh, it, the queedle queedle, mm -hmm. it's kind of, you know, it's almost musical in a way. I, I enjoy hearing it. Uh, with Blue Jays, a lot of the calls they make have uh, some aggressiveness in there. And I think uh, maybe the Queedle Queedle does alert others to possible danger, just as the Jay does, just as you suggested, Karen. But I see sometimes they're just out there all by themselves. Maybe they're practicing the Queedle Queedle warning call, because I, I saw one here yesterday, and it's out there all by itself going Queedle Queedle. Maybe it was just scared and telling the other ones, I'm all alone here. Send help. I, I don't know, but they certainly could use it for a warning call. But, yeah, I love hearing Blue Jays. I'm seeing starlings here feeding on the feeder, and they're attacking the suet with, like, a shark-like feeding <laughs> frenzy. Just think this bird was introduced in the U.S., and it... It wasn't in southeastern Minnesota till 1929. I don't know if they had anything to do with all the financial problems about that time, but within a decade, they were distributed statewide. They, they've done all right. Hey, Al, hey, before man. you go, though, yeah. well, I got one more text from our friend John. Almost comedy by John. Okay, here we go. He said he was by the raisins and prunes, not a reference to old people, in Walmart, and a lady was there. She told me she was looking for dates. I told her I was single and asked if she wanted my phone number. She gave me a confused, disgusted look and walked away. Guess I wasn't the type of date she was looking for. Oh, oh John. Well, don't give, don't give up, John. Keep trying. We're all behind you there. So it's, she, um, she'll probably come to her senses, you know, and just realize. Uh, you, you mentioned one thing before we went on the air, and I want to touch on it. It's in the uh, Mankato Free Press today, but I don't get it till like 11 o'clock, but it's about what happened to Minnesota's deformed frogs. Yeah. And I got involved in a little bit in Henderson, and what was that, in 19, oh, gosh. Nine, it says 1990-something, 1990 1995. 
It's 95. Yeah. And they were seventh graders. And I remember, I think her name was uh, Nancy Reinitz. I hope I have her name right. Or Cindy Reinitz. Cindy. I apologize to Cindy. And she took her students to the Nye Nature Center, and they found these frogs. And, oh, you could say it was gross. They had too many legs. They were missing legs. And it was just... and. I don't know what that article says, but boy, you know, they blamed on farm runoff, parasites, pesticides. Uh, they are a canary in the coal mine, which I certainly believe is true. Uh, vanishing wetlands, and they went on and on, but I don't know that they ever came out with one thing that they said this is definitely what's going on. Well, the article says deformed frogs are still found today, but not to the level they were in the late 1990s. Starting sometime in the early 2000s, people around the state and and country stopped finding as many concentrations of the malformed creatures. And it says they are found in 42 states, Canada, Japan, Denmark, Italy, Russia, and Russia. So it's not just us. And I haven't read the entire article, but maybe we could chat about it next time. Yeah, and thanks again to Cindy Reinitz and her students at the Minnesota New Country School for getting out to Night Nature Center, which is a wonderful place. Hey, thanks, everybody, for sitting on the front porch with us. You know, the weather is so nice for this time of year. I feel as if we're stealing it from somewhere else. We have somebody else's weather, and we should, I don't know, we should <laughs> send back. them some turkeys. <laughs> yeah, send them some wild turkeys and say, here, thanks for the weather. But I stopped at a convenience store because, well, it was convenient. I headed to the convenience section offering convenience food. But then bread or wrap, it sounds like money or clothing, but I grew up eating with Wonder, Wonder Bread. Mm -hmm. Because of that, sometimes it's difficult for me to wrap my head around a wrap. I'm working on it. When I was eating Wonder Bread, it took a brave or foolish man to eat gas station food. It just wasn't something you went in there and said, boy, give me a sandwich. But that's changed. Should I get a sandwich or a wrap? I was just trying to keep it all together. Is a hot dog a sandwich, somebody asked? Well, of course it is. Merriam-Webster came down decisively on the side that a hot dog is a sandwich because its definition of a sandwich is two or more slices of bread or split roll having filling in between. That's a hot dog. Joey Chestnut ate 76 hot dogs in 10 minutes. He's no one-trick pony. He devoured 121 Twinkies in six minutes. Oof. (laughs) <laughs> the bread-enclosed convenience food known as the sandwich is attributed to John Montague, the fourth Earl of Sandwich. And the wrap is attributed to John Montague, the fourth Earl of Wrap. I purchased a wrap. I drove to a nearby park. I sat at a picnic table and ate a wrap on a sunny February day as I watched the squirrels scamper and frolic. It was a good day. Remember, folks, Heartland is while we're driving past. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Karen, I enjoyed your company more than I can say. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hey, one more question. If a bird sounds like Great. it's if a bird sounds like it's saying Ricky, it's probably Lucy. Oh, gosh. <laughs> John, Lucy, our friend John. John. One last one from John. I love Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's always great to have you on. We'll talk to you next week, okay? Thanks, Karen. Thanks. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.